0: And welcome everyone to uh, an experiment, a pop-up hoon on the Kaka, where uh, we bring together um, uh, some experts on a particular topic, along with uh, Peter and myself, uh, to talk about an event that's just happened, um, and one that we sort of previewed uh, last Friday for those people who were with us on the weekly hoon. Um, So welcoming in uh, Peter Bale from Auckland, and from Dunedin, we have Professor Robert Petman from the University of Otago. Um, great to see you both. Thank
1: Thanks you. very much,
2: Bernard. Robert is definitely the only expert here, but I did think it was a really good idea to try to do this because it, it, it can be such an extraordinarily confusing situation here. And there's also, as we know, a phenomenal amount of misinformation and disinformation here, and also people dividing into the classic um, anything the United States does has to be bad and bad. Uh, you know what might also be called war on the other side. Um, so Rob, Robert and I might have an extensive discussion about whataboutism shortly. But uh, yes.
0: well, I thought we could start off with um, Peter. You've been following the news this morning, giving us an update on um, the sort of key things that have happened in the last twenty four hours. Um, before we launch into it. Well, most recently there are reports of um, Russian heavy vehicles and heavy
2: equipment going across the borders into the two into um, Luhansk and uh, Donetsk, the two enclaves, or well, the Russian-speaking enclaves in the east of Ukraine. He's he's described them overnight as peacekeeping forces. Uh, he also signed a declaration with the two leaders of those of those areas. Um, recognizing them as independent states. Now, what's going to be interesting with that is the extent to which uh, those independent states cr- start to creep further west uh, into the wider part of this, this region called the Donbass in the east east of Ukraine, which is clearly part of, U- of Ukraine, as, as are these two enclaves. I mean, w- what strikes me is, this, and, and Robert will want to talk about this, we've had some extraordinary theater uh, after weeks of shadow boxing, Putin had an absolutely extraordinary um, theatrical event, more or less, in the Kremlin, where he brought the members of his security council, Sergei Lavrov and, and several others, um, to appear before him in front of a lectern, again, sort of 20, 20 or 30 metres away from him across across a void um, for COVID reasons, where he forced them in a very Stalinist kind of show trialy way to... Um, Just to to say whether they agreed with recognizing these two states or not, these two enclaves or not, and and in fact his security uh, chief sort of appeared to kind of mumble and be not absolutely certain, while another one of one of the security council members again raised the question of genocide, which is a it's a kind of rather sick betrayal of the word genocide, which as we know emerged in 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 Nuremberg and can talk about more. But so he's he's created these multiple um, sort of theatrical incidents. Um, what's also interesting is Bellingcat, um, which is a very, very clever uh, sort of crowdsourced um, uh, fact checking network based, based in the UK, has, has done some remarkable work on some of these um, false flag incidents and proved that certainly the ones we've seen so far were rather contrived and somewhat contrived in a rather cack handed way. So there's a whole bunch of pretexts here. But I, I think the point that we made with Robert last week uh, and, and have discussed before is that there is a bit of a shaving off going on here rather than a full invasion at this point. Um, And it will be extremely interesting the extent to which the US and Europe choose to respond to this. Now, it was quite interesting to see the State Department saying this morning that they would immediately launch sanctions or try to launch sanctions against these two enclaves, but they're not doing it against Russia itself. And that suggests to me, potentially very riskily, that there is, in fact, some difference here between a minor incursion and an actual invasion of Ukraine. Um, What do you think about that, Robert?
1: Yes, I think so. And I think Mr. Putin has calculated this move very carefully, um, has overtones of our previous discussion, Mm. Peter, where you suggested he might go for a sliver. Well, Mm. we know the sliver in question now is the Hansk and Um, Donetsk. It also gives him the option to escalate That is to say, if he's not sort of walking into a battering of huge sanctions hitting him immediately, but he's getting sort of uh, softly, softly treatment from the West, that means that he may be able to consolidate his position. Um, Let's be quite clear about this. This is an explosive development because um, the armed separatists, he has, you know, they, they They don't really exist without his creation. Yeah, yeah. So he's created these groups, these puppet groups, and now he's recognizing them. And now he's sending peacekeepers in to protect them. Although much of the so-called fighting has been one way in recent, uh, the, uh, the last month. Um, so uh, the, 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 the explosive thing is that these groups, these armed separatist groups, which are proxies of Russia, um, they have territorial claims mm-hmm. over much of the Donbass region. Which means that it's going to be very difficult to see how Russian peacekeepers, inverted commas, move into this area without the Ukrainians reacting.
2: Exactly, and this, let's because remember also these guys are also the
1: territory in Donbass to That's right. Putin. Th-
2: These are also the same characters that um, shot down MH17, the Malaysian, the Malaysian mm-hmm. airliner, several years ago. I mean, these, these are not the calmest, most sensible people in the world.
1: No, and um, the other thing is. There is a disconnect between Mr. Putin's demands and his first concrete action during this crisis. Remember, he wants Ukraine never to have the possibility to exercise sovereignty in its uh, security policy, and that means that it means that Ukraine must never join NATO. And in addition he wants the military infrastructure of NATO disestablished in the 14 countries Mm. in Eastern Europe that have joined NATO since the end of the Cold War. And this first move of recognising groups which Russia effectively established doesn't actually square with that demand. So I think this is the opening shot. And it's
2: certainly certainly not going to reassure the Baltics or Georgia, I would have thought.
1: No, it's it's not. And... uh, it, 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 yeah, I mean it, it's a, a, a very dangerous situation we, we've now entered into.
2: And, and Robert, just kind of one 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 of the key things here as well, and it and it's sort of it's, it may sound slightly historical, of course, to raise this, but Putin also said that effectively Ukraine has no democratic right to exist. He he described it as a a, a creation of the Soviet Union and a creation of Lenin which effectively he then said, we have the right to impose decommunization on you. And we'll show you what that's going to be like. You know, it's a pretty, it's a it's a huge reversal of the Helsinki pact of 1953, which I think is, is, is all about not redrawing borders by force, right?
1: I think it was 75, wasn't it, the Helsinki <laughs> pact? Um, and it's also a huge reversal of the Russian Federation's mm. position in December, 94, when Russia formally recognized the territorial integrity of ukraine and its independence as a sovereign independent state and that was in return for um ukraine giving up nuclear weapons so russia seems to be tearing up the agreements that it made as a neighboring state and uh yeah i mean uh, one of the things that's really sad about this peter is just how ineffective the UN Security Council in this situation is. If you Mm. think about it, in the post-Cold War period, three of the five members of the UN Security Councils have been the biggest offenders when it comes to ripping up the rules-based system. First of all, the United States carried out an illegal invasion of Iraq without the blessing of the UN Security Council. And then China took action, which was deemed by the Hague Tribunal, to be um, in the South China Sea, which was uh, Mm. considered to be illegal. And now we have Russia also acting in a way which is a complete variance with international law. So, you know, it makes you wonder how long we're gonna tolerate having this UN Security Council, whose purpose is to maintain um, a rules-based system and particularly uh, peace and security. And of course, Russia is the
2: chairman of of the Security Council at the moment, right? sorry Russia is the chairman of the security yes, council well at the i mean the, the timing is very fortuitous <laughs> for the <Putin. laughs> boot and the end of the end of and the end of the olympics exactly as forecast bernard go yeah, ahead. Yeah.
0: sorry so uh, one thing that struck me about this um theater of the speech today from uh, president putin was the extraordinary language even from you know a a dictator about um one of his neighbours about the the global situation. It was as if he was having a a, a rant. Um, he, uh, uh, Robert, you must have seen lots of these formal speeches by heads of state. Um, what did you think of this morning's uh, in our time uh, episode?
1: I think he's preparing the Russians for a conflict with Ukraine, and I think this is just the opening move. Hmm. Um, And I think he's trying to make the case that he's the reasonable person and every the rest of the world is wrong. And if Russian blood is spilt, it's being done in a noble cause. Extraordinary claims, coming back to the point Peter just made about denying Ukraine statehood. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's more reflection of Mr. Putin than Ukraine statehood, but that's... Yeah, I mean, the problem is he is living in a bubble, Bernard. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he's done a very from a dictatorial or authoritarian point of view. He's done a very nice job or very unpleasant job, actually, in removing politicians, physically removing off in many cases, politicians that could challenge him. And um, Alexei Navalny is currently about to be uh, sentenced while this crisis is going on to another 15 Mm -hmm. years. He's deeply insecure, as he's had 22 years to whip the Russian economy into shape. Well, he hasn't managed to do that. And he's now looking for to try to build his project of a greater Russia, which means effectively, I think, absorbing Ukraine. And, you know, this is a crucial moment. This is a test not just for uh, the countries of Eastern Europe or the United States or the West, but also for, I think, Most countries in the world, including our own, whether we're going to allow this sort of wild west behavior, Mm. um, might is right. Are we going to really tolerate this in the 21st century?
0: So, we have have actually got a statement out from the um, foreign minister, Nanaya Mahuta, this afternoon. A little
2: heaven quaking in his
0: boots. Well, at least we've got We've got what does she say? What is she has uh she has talked um this afternoon about um uh her concern about the tension and um has has also put out a statement uh in which let me just grab this uh here um in which she has condemned uh the uh, uh the events um and obviously um, in 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 recognition of their breach of uh, international law. Robert, I'm curious about the response, initial response from the United States and from Europe, which was to put sanctions on those Eastern regions, but not on on Russia overall. What did you think of that initial response?
1: It's measured. I suppose they could argue that if they, if they could be sending Russia a warning shot that they have much more in hand, which they could escalate. And um, maybe they don't want to play all their hand at once. That is to say that uh, they do, by all accounts, have a series of substantial measures um, in line to use against uh, Russia. And um, maybe they want to uh, s- see strong evidence that Russia is embarked on a full-fledged invasion before they use those measures. But. Yeah, I suppose the criticism is that it could be too timid. That's right. I mean, this is,
2: this is the risk, isn't it, that, that, that we are playing into exactly that. If it's a minor incursion, then there'll be a gap about how harsh to be. But you know, even if it's a minor incursion, if you're effectively nullifying Ukraine's right to exist, you're also, you know, he also does it in another way, which is there is no negotiation or discussion with Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. It is just entirely all about the Russian relationship with the United States.
1: Yeah, it's, a he, super, he it's a opened,
2: superpower
1: pact. yeah and, and and this again this 19th century infatuation of great powers who can't solve most of the problems mm. that people face in the 21st century so there, as i say I I, I I think mr Putin um has made a grave miscalculation in the short term he's going to get a lot of nationalist applause in russia uh, but in the long term i think it's going to have considerable blowback for him.
0: So just on that blowback, um, we've already seen a a big slump on the um, Moscow Stock Exchange um, earlier this morning. Uh, But on the other hand, as as an oil and gas exporter, we've seen the price of oil uh, jump about 4% to um, Brent crude, $97 a barrel, which is likely to affect us indirectly and nudge our petrol prices over $3 a litre. That's, I suppose, the headline for those who are wondering Uh, in a quick way, what this might mean for New Zealand. Um, How uh, well equipped is the Russian economy to deal with the sorts of um, withdrawals of uh, international investment, those falls in the value of their stocks on their exchanges and other exchanges, the potential um, uh, uh, sanctions uh, uh, financially on on them and can russia handle this or is it um is it as vulnerable as it was in the at- in the short
1: term i think bernard uh, russia with its massive reserves is it about 630 billion i think you mentioned peter in our last discussion yep. um in the short term he can certainly protect many people within his regime who are likely to face um quite tough financial measures from the West. I mean, uh, there's certainly the Europeans and the British government have talked spoke about targeting. Um, people who are very closely associated with the regime, many of whom have investments mm. in the West. Mm. Um, so he will be able to protect them. I think the Russian population as a whole, he won't be able to protect and. Um, yeah, I, I, I again, he's taken quite a, a big risk. Um, interesting thing is that there'll be people watching him very closely within Russia. Um, That that may have added a sort of decibel to his speech, Mm. so to speak, when he seems so animated, because he may be trying to convince Russians as well as anyone else that this is the right thing for Russia to do to send so-called peacekeepers into Donetsk and Luhansk and to establish order there. If it does develop, as it looks like it might, into an attempt to absorb Ukraine, then I think the economic consequences will be very severe. Um, And the other thing that he's got to keep in mind here, many Russians, and I heard a Russian commentary last night, are saying, well, we've got this fabulous army that Mr Putin has Mm. put together for the last, since about 2012, they've been investing a lot. Mr Putin protected the military sector and the defence sector from the cuts that they had to make after the financial calamities resulting from the annexation of Crimea. So they now have, um, in the words of one Russian commentator, the most mobile army in the world. So they're probably, and this you know there was commentary in Washington this afternoon. Many people are anticipating once the peacekeepers, the Russian so-called peacekeepers, are in Eastern Ukraine, which could be um, the bridgehead. Or the staging post for some sort of blitzkrieg, like exactly. takeover yep. of the country. Because um, we haven't we haven't even seen
2: that, the engagement of the one. That, yeah, the, but the, let's we, be we, quite clear You're only talking about, about Far East at the moment. You're not talking about those huge troop numbers assembled in Belarus, for example.
1: No, but they do have about thirty thousand in mm. Belarus. Yeah. No, I think um, I just
2: the, the Belarus one is particularly interesting because effectively the, the the reversal of the agreement to pull out of belarus after these um yeah that was after an these exercises, it was an, an, an ominous development and it also shows that you know belarus is is no more than a than a province now
1: yeah but is i do ca- think and the point coming back to bernard's question about whether this was to the sanctions response we've heard so far or if it's too timid i think it's very important not just to rely on the United States, but for countries like New Zealand to rally small and middle powers that depend on the rules based order, which has been so often undermined by key members of the UN Security Council to start having a voice. I mean, I think Mr Putin has to start getting the message um, that this is unacceptable. And, um, you know, how, you know, New Zealand would not like it if we had a neighbour who decided that they could veto um, our foreign policy or yeah. our defense yeah. policy, and I think we no, have. I think that's interest- a really, that's
2: a really interesting idea, and that's why I shouldn't have been so sort of rude about about the "I am a statement. Of course, it is, it is really important that these that these small and medium. Well, New Zealand's got, got a together. lot of credibility, yeah, and we can't keep our head down about this. This has huge implications for us. Um, we, somebody we, called somebody called Rising Star asked us a question, uh, which I think I might know the answer to, Robert, but I think you'll know better than me, which is that if if Russia, Russia escalates. Um, will the West afford to react with any military support? Have we seen anything like this before other than Hong, China and Hong Kong? And I would say the last time we saw it like this is it with the Security Council member is um, the Korean War with China, China aiding North North Korea to invade the South. Because mm. Which, of course, the response to that was a United Nations effort, not a
1: US-led. Yeah, was US I was going to say the Korean parallel is a tricky one because mm. Russia actually boycotted the Security Council which was a huge tactical blunder, which enabled mm. the United States to pass a resolution <laughs> through the UN Security Council, which uh, meant they could send um, a military force under US command with under the authorized yeah. by the UN. With uh, the I can't see that happening at the moment under yeah. with Russia's chairing the Security Council. Robert, let me ask you one question further. Just to, and, and
2: before we open it to questions more broadly from the audience, what aboutism? So this is a very Soviet era concept, um, but it, it pervades a lot of discussions. And, and you almost stepped into it by saying, you know, that, that the the invasion of the last invasion of Iraq was illegal and and um, mm. not not backed up by the United Nations. You know, how do we get around this when we're discussing this? This kind of Putin's really bad, but so was so was George Bush with Iraq. I mean, how do we how do we be more sensible about these uh, uh, these um,
1: di- dichotomies being created? Well, it would be great, really helpful if, and I think the Biden administration is making an attempt, if the most powerful country in the world was seen to lead through institutions and mm. never go outside. Clearly, U.S. behavior during the war on terror has provided a precedent for countries like China and Russia mm. to use their power in this unilateral way
2: mm. Mm.
1: absolutely uh, but and, and- you know the uh, risk of repetition most middle-sized countries most middle powers and small countries we really do depend on a rules-based order because after all New Zealand trades I believe with more than 100 countries around the world we do need that rules-based environment and mm. I think the interesting thing is great powers, although they think they can run the world, can't. And that creates a bit of space and opportunity because the solutions to many of the problems we face are by definition multilateral. It gives an opportunity for players like New Zealand, middle powers like Germany Mm. to play a greater role. The question is whether they're prepared to move out of their comfort zone and seize that space and play a greater role.
0: Just on that um, uh, relationship with China uh, that we have, which you could argue is some more important in trade terms for us, how do you think China is viewing what's going on here? Uh, what, are they, what are they saying? And how do you think they Well, it I, might- I
1: understand the last 24 things. hours they have distanced themselves again mm-hmm. from Mr. Putin and said that the principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity uh, cannot be compromised, or words to that effect, And I don't think the Chinese, as we said in our previous conversation, are as close to Mr. Putin as some Western commentators Mm. uh, have speculated. I think China sees Russia as a potential junior partner. It doesn't view Russia as an economic heavyweight. And remember the Chinese take a long-term view. They are quite non-sentimental in their approach and uh, I think they will not like what's happening, um, because I think it is very disruptive. And they also may think this is actually rallying the West at a time when they have mm. issues that they want to pursue. So it's, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how the Russia-China relationship plays out. Mm.
0: So so far, um, the West has provided some um, weapons support to Ukraine, and obviously there's a lot of diplomatic activity. But there doesn't seem to be any suggestion of any sort of direct military involvement uh, either in Ukraine itself um, uh, or in the um, in those eastern provinces. What sort of actual milit- military options does the West, United States, NATO have here, or do we just, or does it just have to? watch from a distance
1: well i don't know there's well i do know that, that the america said that it won't send troops directly to ukraine because it's not part of nato so i think you know what could happen however is that the countries of eastern europe which don't just view this as a ukraine russia con- uh, conflict they view it as a conflict between russia and much of eastern europe and they view this as the first gambit, the first round in an attempt to establish a Russian sphere of influence. They see, they, 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 you know, Eastern Europeans are talking about Putin um, um, reinvigorating the greater Russia project. Um, I, I think some of them will be giving quite substantial bilateral assistance, whether that involves um, volunteers, uh, <laughs> military volunteers going, there has been talk about a number of Eastern European countries that happening, The other thing is that Zelensky, Mr. Zelensky, the president, President Zelensky, made quite a defiant speech after Putin's, and um, you know, I, I, I don't, I have a feeling that they have been on the receiving end of a lot of military assistance recently Mm. from the United States, the UK, and a number of EU states as well as NATO members. Um, I think it's going to provide quite stiff resistance. You can never predict these things. Um, Russian commentators, when they talk about a hypothetical war in the Ukraine, talk as if it will be quickly over, that the Ukrainians won't be able to stand up to the might and the mobility of the Russian army. Uh, but as we all know, um, actually, even if that's true, that may not solve the problem for Mr. Putin. As mm-hmm. America found out, it's, it's one thing to overthrow a government, it's quite another thing to occupy a country and obtain the desired political outcome you want. I think it's also,
0: big, yeah. I think it's also interesting to sort of look at the map, at the pure geography of of Ukraine, and mm. its history of maintaining um, partisan uh, guerrilla style um, operations. I mean, I, I always find this amazing, and I've heard it a couple of times that. Ukraine is actually about 10% bigger than the whole of France. Hmm. So, um, a- And during the Second World War, um, various combatants of both sides continually were, were staging guerrilla actions, uh, even if, hmm. if Russia was to fully invade the Ukraine. Yes, uh, there's, and-
1: a, there's, and- a, there's a lot of bitterness in the Ukraine um, to the former Soviet Union. Hmm. And Russia's role in it not, not least because of the collectivization of the 1930s and also um, the starvation that forcible collectivization caused. Um, millions of military Ukrainians died during that period and that as we know people's those memories linger. So I, I think in a sense Zelensky for his part by reacting to the announcement that the Russians were sending in peacekeepers will also tap in to those memories. And I think Putin's denial that Ukraine is a proper nation is likely to um, infuriate. So it, it unfortunately, we're in a situation where we do not have authoritative international mechanisms to prevent um, war. Exactly. And, and it's just something we need to work out in the 21st
2: century. Robert, without making you make a prediction, I'm going to make, ask you to make a prediction. And is the playbook, in fact, already set that, uh, as in Georgia and South Ossetia and Abkhazia, which were occupied in a Russian enclave, same pretense was used to invade um, Georgia, and now, now Putin has destabilised the Tbilisi government to such an extent that it's effectively a, um, mm. a puppet a puppet administration, then plus the 2014 invasion and occupation of Crimea, That's the playbook, isn't it? That we that that pieces get shaved off and then consolidated.
1: Yeah, Yeah, salami style tactics, really. Mm. At some point, though, Mr. Putin is going to be if we want to avoid a major international conflict, he is going to have to be faced down.
0: Mm. Yeah. And um, just to to finish up here, um, Robert. You know, we've had various conflicts in in Europe over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, particularly uh, around Serbia. Um, And at that point, it didn't escalate into a a wider European conflict. But this time, um, the likes of Boris Johnson have described it as potentially the worst um, war in Europe since 1945. What's your Mm. feeling at the moment about whether this escalates into something that... um, Becomes, you know, a major problem for global trade and commerce, and completely, you know, resets the balance.
1: I do think it's got the potential to escalate rapidly. The world is a very interconnected place. It's a cliche, but it's true. And I think it's got big reverberations. I also think Mr. Putin is underestimating um, the reaction. Or possible counter reaction from the rest of the world, uh, particularly from Eastern Europe, who I, like, uh, there's, you know, the, the, the great deal of host- hostility there. And the other thing is that even if he overran, so far he's just moved into the Hansk and Donetsk, but even if he overran Ukraine, that would not be the end of the problem. Um, it could turn out to be a sort of Afghanistan or Vietnam hmm. scenario. The Ukrainians have got nowhere to go. It's their country. And they're going to fight like mad to stay there. And, um, you know, Mr. Putin's been living in a bubble. He doesn't get much independent advice. He No one can stop him at home. Everybody's terrified of him. And um, there will come a point where, you know, he will confront obstacles and circumstances he can't control, you know, but I I do think the rest of the world has got a part to play. And I think, you know, New Zealand might be able to play. It's a small country, but it can sometimes act as a bit of a playmaker on the international stage, bringing people who would not otherwise agree together. And I think that may be our role. It's very important, I think, that we do not allow um, a state to use force to redefine borders, because it sets a precedent, which ultimately is in no one's interest, but is particularly not in the interest of the smaller and middle sized powers.
0: Professor um, Robert Patman, thank you very much for, for um, jumping on. That was um, a cracking 30 minutes Thanks of, Robert. Um, of an event. Um, and Peter, thank you so much for uh, suggesting the Thanks, um, pop up hoon, and Wonder- we'll let we'll, we'll you know how
2: it went but let's, let's make this all together thank you
0: yeah yeah
1: thank you very much
0: everyone See thank you, you. Bye.
1: bye thank you cheers